As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Lisa Abramowitz, along with Tom Keene and Jonathan Farrow. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Steve Chevron joins us now, the head of multi-asset solutions at Federated Hermes. Steve, wonderful to catch up with you. Bearish for so long, Steve. If I asked you this question this morning, do you chase this rally or fade this rally? How do you answer it? Yeah, we got on the other side of it right at the beginning of the year. I, I think there are opportunities for this rally to go longer and higher than you would expect. I mean, you've got inflation that's likely to come down given the year-over-year comps. Earnings season expectations were so poor. The market was looking for this kind of first half recession, but the labor market's going to take a much longer time to, to kind of decelerate. So, you know, we think that this strength can go higher. You traditionally have 15, 20 percent rallies when you have Fed pauses. Those are usually suckers rallies, usually. Um, and so I, I think it's premature to cancel the recession. I, I think there's so many signs that the economy is likely to head into recession, but it's going to take a while. And that's been the hallmark of this whole cycle. Every stage has taken longer and gone farther than you expect. We think this rally could last us through mid-year, uh, but ultimately we still do have those concerns about recession. We just think that's a kind of second half story. And in the meantime, you've got to play this. So Steve, talk to me about how you're playing. Is it through international? Is it through US tech? A combination of both? Mm-hmm. It's exactly what we did. We didn't want to jump on the tech train at the beginning of the year. We think earnings there are still vulnerable. We think valuations are still very much too expensive. We get that they are going to run on this kind of rally, but we decided to do it internationally. We did it both in developed and EM international. But again, this is a rally that we're dating. It's not necessarily one that we're marrying, at least not yet. So how do you know that the date's over and to break up? You got to keep following the fundamental. The fundamentals. If, if it turns out that the market is moving higher, and we're in the mid, you know, four thousands, let's say by mid-year, yet earnings are still coming down, yield curves are still inverted, the labor market is continuing to slow. You know, people look at this and, and they're confounded by the labor market. Unemployment doesn't rise before a recession. It rises in one, and in fact, it takes usually six months to go from the low in unemployment, which we just hit, to the start of a recession over which time the unemployment rate really barely rises, maybe by two-tenths of a percent. And so I think you have to look at those emerging layoff announcements, see if the labor market continues to weaken. And if it does, uh, you're going to need to fade this. When you go into if emerging, it doesn't, yeah. it's a different story. But when, yeah. you, when you go into emerging markets, Steve, how much is this really a story about China and the reopening there, just entirely riding that until we get more concrete data on just the contours of what that looks like? 
I mean, it's certainly a big part of it, but it's not it's not the entirety of it. I, I'd say the other key factors here, you know, you do have a Fed that's likely to pause. Emerging markets in general tend to do better when the Fed's not hiking. You've got a dollar that's weakening, and I think it may weaken, right? Well, you were just talking about maybe the ECB is going to be a little bit more aggressive than the Fed this year in terms of rate hikes. You'd have to expect at some point Japan might have to abandon yield curve controls. And so you may have this scenario where a weaker dollar, no more rate hikes, plus a China reopening gives you, you know, a decent window here. The stocks are certainly reacting to that. Steve, let's get to the Fed on Wednesday. If I was in that news conference and I was a journalist, this is the question I would ask. Do you believe we've seen an unwarranted easing of financial conditions? Very simple. Let's see how he answers it. How do you think he will approach that question? Because it's very likely to be asked. I mean, I think he, he, they've got to be frustrated, John. I mean, if you look relative to a year ago, not, not necessarily the peaks mid-year, but one full year ago, the labor market's incrementally hotter than it was 12 months ago. Inflation is as hot, if not as hot as it was 12 months ago. Now, it's, it's coming down, so I don't, I don't want to discount that. But financial conditions are much looser. Um, and they've spent so much political capital trying to defend this median dot, you would think that they, they're, they're going to have to see it through. I, I don't think that you're going to have a recession or not because of, you know, an extra 25 basis points. So my guess is if they go to 25 here, they might do two more 25s to at least get to that median dot. And I would expect that he would push back against these financial conditions. Some that being said, I have not had the best luck at predicting what Powell's going to say. I've had a much better job predicting what he's going to do. Um, so we'll see. You know, I'll be watching along with you and, and we'll see how he responds. But you know he's going to get that question. Steve, can you pair that idea with your bullishness right now, the riding of the rally? Why is it not going to be successful if the Fed does try to jawbone down this market? Why? Well, because I, I think that the data is going to look encouraging and the data on the road to a soft landing doesn't look very different than the data on the road to recession. Right. Re- Inflation is going to come down. You know, earnings are going to come down. You would expect that in a soft landing, but maybe not catastrophically. You expect the labor market to slow. And so you've had a market that for you know, the better part of a year has wanted to rally on any sign of good news. I think they're going to get data that, that can be construed that way. Um, ultimately, I think that is on the road to recession. It would be a historical anomaly to have this much of the yield curve inverted. And I, mean, I could go through all the various different statistics and not have a recession. But if you go back every cycle, the market has a big hurrah rally like that. It did it in 19. It did it in 2006. And so I, I, I think that that's, those are the powerful forces. The market's going to see what they want in this Rorschach test. And there's been a bullish lean for the last year. Uh, and usually the last one's the biggest one. And I think that's you know, at least what we're in. It can last six months. It could be 20%. And so you know, if you're a long-term investor, you might be able to ignore that. But if you're trying to manage you know, through the markets as, as, as our charge, I think you got to be cognizant of that risk right here. Well, it's lasted four weeks so far this year in 23. Steve, great to catch up, buddy. As always, Steve Chevron there of Federated Hermes getting you set up for the Federal Reserve this coming Wednesday. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Payrolls, the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of England and some earnings in between. Joining us now to discuss, I'm really pleased to say, is Ken Tropin, the founder and chairman of Graham Capital, a hedge fund with $18 billion under management. Ken, fantastic to catch up with you, sir. Thanks for being with us. Let's start Thanks broad. Thanks for having me. The amount of central bank tightening we've seen over the last 12 months, there is a feeling that we can get away with something mild, something short, and then just move on. Ken, do you share that feeling, that view? I think that's too optimistic, personally. Um, you know, if you think about how the 2022 compared to the previous decade uh, in the period between the end of the financial crisis, 2010 to 2021, we saw a total of 13 25 basis point equivalent rate hikes between the ECB, the Bank of England and the Fed. In 2022, one year, we saw 40 25 basis point rate moves. Obviously, some of them came in 50 or 75 at a crack. So you've seen an enormous sea change in financial conditions. And I don't really think uh, the market reflects that necessarily um, in equity valuations. So how would you lean against it? I mean, would you basically move against some of the tech rally? Would you just go more into bonds? Um, you know, I think it's a good time to be um, very conservative. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, I think about is that for the last 11 years prior to 22, you were sort of rewarded for buying every dip in equities. I think that is the psychology of investors broadly. I think that psychology probably needs to shift. Uh, I think a 10% rally so far this year in equities seems um, like, okay, there was a big sell-off last year and people wanted to get back in with the sense that the Fed was going to start easing in the second half of the year. We're not so convinced that they're going to ease in the second half of this year. And there's still a lot of rate hikes priced in between the Fed, the ECB and the Bank of England. So I would be really cautious personally. What does it mean to be cautious, Ken, at a time when last year the 60-40 didn't work? And uh, frankly, the bond pr proponent, a component of the portfolio, had the worst year on record if you look at certain denominations. Is this a new time of that being a haven trade or is that still really a difficult area? I think it's a difficult area. I like the two-year, you know. Uh, you've got the yield curve uh, really inverted here. And so uh, I think to be in one-year uh, notes and, and, and be patient makes a lot of sense. As you said, last year was the worst year for a 60-40 portfolio since uh, in 37 years. I mean, it's crazy. Can are you thinking inflation is going to be stickier than people anticipate? Is that what you're positioning I, I, for? I, 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 somewhat stickier, yes. I mean, it is definitely cooling, but... You know, uh, energy prices haven't gone down that much. They've come off the highs. But if you think about the world we're in, uh, you know, there's not any energy development in the United States. Uh, green policies, which we probably need because of global warming, really discourage more energy development. So resources are tight in, in inflation. Uh, if you look at labor, certainly there's softness in tech and finance. On the other hand, CVS and Walgreens are limiting hours because they can't get enough 
employees. So um, I'm not convinced that uh, we're going to see inflation get anywhere near target uh, as soon as uh, the market would like. Ken, where does that leave the yield curve right now? Deeply inverted. Some people think we can get that return yeah. of the bull steepener because the Federal Reserve's going to cut, save the day, deliver that steepening that we traditionally get. Ken, are you pushing back against that too then? I, I think the yield curve's moved a little uh, too much. Uh, you know, for all of the years I've been in finance, uh, there was term premium and duration risk priced into bonds. There is none today. It's the opposite. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me uh, if you think we have some inflation that may be around longer than another six or 12 months. Ken, we've been talking a lot about anecdotal signs of weakness in the labor market, whether it's big tech or even the big banks that have been cutting jobs on the margin. From your experience, do you think that those anecdotes reflect a real softening in the labor picture? Or do you think that there is more sustained strength than people realize? I think it's bifurcated. I think um, in high income uh, and in uh, jobs such as tech and finance and what have you, there's definitely softness. And I think in the service sector or, uh, you know, in, in more blue collar uh, jobs, not so much. And I also think we have the psychology of a, a lot of employees who are younger, who have never, uh, you know, endured a recession. And so they're being very patient about looking for jobs if they're laid off. That's a new phenomenon, I think. Again, just a final word from you. Your favorite trade this year, and you do not get to say the two-year, because you've said that already. What is it, Ken? Uh, well, the two-year is not a trade. It's just a good place to be conservative. Sure. Uh, I think uh, if I had to pick one thing, I, I, after stocks have got up 10%, I probably would lean short. You'd go short right now? Uh, we're mixed. Our, some of our quant systems uh, are long equities while our discretionary traders are basically short. Is there a part of the equity market, Ken, that you think needs to be shorted more than most? Um, I, I think, well, if you look at uh, uh, the Hang Seng, that's gone up an enormous amount in the last three months. That looks really expensive to me. And I, I think broadly uh, in the U.S., if we if are going to see a recession sometime this year, I don't think that's priced into the S&P at all. Ken, this was great. Isn't it nice the macro's back, Ken? Don't you agree? Isn't that uh, nice? it's you know, it's the most exciting time to be in macro in 15 years. There's so much going on between what's happening uh, in the Ukraine, what's happening in inflation, all of these rate hikes. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of a, a, a lifetime opportunity or who knows? You never know exactly what happens, but it's really exciting to be in macro. Well, Ken, it's exciting to talk to you and let's do this more often. Fantastic, as uh, always. Ken Tropin there of Graham Capital, a hedge fund with 18 billion AUM. Lara Rehm, the chief U.S. economist at FS Investments, joins us right now. So, Lara, this is the question going into Wednesday in that news conference, if it's not addressed in the statement. Are the recent easing, the recent easing of financial conditions warranted or not? And, Lara, I wonder how you think, one, he'll answer that question, and two, whether this market and market participants will actually listen to him. Uh, you know, whether they're warranted is really a reflection of the fact that the markets have been trained in part by the Fed to look so far ahead of the curve on the economy that I think they can be too hasty. And in this case, there was so much talk about a recession at the beginning of last year, a recession at the beginning of this year. To me, you know, you really need to look for the timing of this almost a year after the Fed stops raising rates, which is why I penciled in late 2023 for an economic slowdown. And it means that 
at earliest, the Fed would really not consider sort of lowering that curve and cutting rates until much later in the year. And for all of those, you sort of paint that macro backdrop. And it means that markets who are pricing in three rate cuts this year are have just gotten too aggressive. That's pulled down the front end. And look at what we've had. Mortgage refinancings have reignited again. We're about to see the housing market come back to life. The Fed hasn't really broken anything. They have put a pin in all of these interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy. And guess what? When rates come down, those all reflare. And I think that's what the, the push and pull we're going to see over the next year. And really, it's going to start this Wednesday. Lots to unpack there, Lara. Can I just pick up on your call that you don't think the weakness comes until year end? Lara, what guides yes. that view? Okay, you have to take out a microscope to find weakness in the labor market. We've had upsetting headlines on in some key industries like the tech sector, but the reality is these are sectors that overhire during the pandemic. They're trying to right-size that right now. And to me, when you look at the broader initial claims, the unemployment rate at 3.5%, Jolt's data, the vacancy rate. I mean, go down the list, Jonathan, pick anything. It is just very difficult to find any signs of outright weakness. Normalization, cooling, all of that is actually healthy. And then on the consumer side, I would argue there's a similar situation. There's been a lot of talk about delinquencies picking up and consumer banks are being cautious. That is their job. I think at the end of the day, when you saw the earnings from MasterCard, from all from American Express, the consumer is healthy with jobs where they are. I think the household can continue to spend and lower inflation has a role to play in that, too. It's not a strong growth picture. It's a grind. But I think it stays positive. Laura, you said the Fed hasn't broken anything. And then you talk about all these pockets of strength that could keep inflation hotter than the Fed would like. Is the implication here that the Fed has to break something? And then what is it that they have to break? Well, that's what a recession is at the end of the day. It means that they have taken something and pushed it too far. Our economy doesn't like to contract, so it needs something to be not working right to to really uh, fall into contraction. So, you know, they have talked a lot about the labor market. They've talked a lot about wages and you know, we need wages to come down pretty significantly. And I'm just not sure that's going to happen, given the uh, limited number of job availability The at the end. Of, I think when they think about targeting something to really slow the economy at a broader level, it often is the labor market. But I think right now they're content with some broader slowing. They just see the need to continue to raise rates. I don't think that's going to change. It's time for them to slow down, no doubt about it. I think they're doing the right thing over the next several meetings. So a lot of people took some signal from the Bank of Canada, which has been on the front foot when it comes to uh, their moves in their central bank. And they just indicated they're going to go 25 basis points. They went 25 basis points. And they potentially will hold indefinitely. Why is the Fed not going to do that since it doesn't seem to bother them that much that financial conditions keep easing? I, I would I would push back that it may bother them somewhat. I mean, I think they see it. I think they recognize that um, when long-term interest rates come down, it undoes some of their rate hike activity. And 
Um, while I think that they're going to continue to monitor this, I think they recognize that they can't only focus on it because it's not their main mandate. Their mandate is inflation. And until we see it not just hit 2%, but hit inflation persistently at 2%, they have wiggle room to manage expectations and financial conditions are going to be a big part of that. I think they are going to keep watching financial conditions very closely, especially over the next six months. We're catching up with Jim Bianco of Bianco Research a little bit later this morning. And in his recent note, he said, I think the narrative and attention should now turn to how far down we're going to go, not whether inflation has peaked. Laura, can you speak to that? Are we coming down to four? Or are we going to find it difficult to get down to two? Yeah, the inflation numbers are going to look so choppy. This is just because year-on-year base effects are going to make the headline number just really come down very fast. I think, you know, we've now sort of contorted ourselves in the monthly CPI numbers of looking at you know, services, wages that are excluding shelter. I mean, we've gotten, I think, too micro on the CPI data. We need to step back and we need to include wages in that conversation. We need to include sort of numbers that are in the medium term versus just the near term. Inflation expectations are part of that, too. And those have been stickier. So to me, it's really a more holistic inflation picture. And I think the Fed is going to be very focused on more than just one piece of CPI and the labor dynamics are very critical to that. That's what their medium term models key off of. Laura, what are you watching most closely this week in terms of the economic data, the Fed meeting, as well as earnings? I mean, nothing beats the payroll reports, Lisa. You have to pay a ton of attention to those. So to me, that's, we're really going to end with a bang on that. I think the employment cost index numbers are going to be really important this week as well. It's fascinating. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Joining us now to talk about the earnings, Tom Forte, the senior research analyst at DA Davidson. Now, Tom, I have some sympathy for you, sir, because the earnings calendar for big tech, the big names in the space of what, 48 hours. Now, Tom, I won't ask you to pick your favorite baby, but if you had to pick one earnings report right now that I could give to you, Tom, what would it be? So if I had to see an earnings report right now, the one that I want to see is Amazon. So I'm curious, the, the term I think that you're going to see this quarter is beaten layoff. So to what extent are these big technology companies laying off employees but still outperforming against expectations? So I think that these layoffs put these companies in a position where it's more difficult for them to show a better than expected sales and profits because if they had better than expected sales and profits, why are they cutting headcount so significantly? It's a really important question, Tom. So let's ask the question as to why Apple isn't cutting headcount. 
So Apple will cut headcount. Uh, they'll do it in one of two ways. If you look back to Amazon, uh, between the first quarter and second quarter of last year, they cut about 100,000 heads, mostly at the fulfillment center level, uh, when they acknowledged that they were overbuilt for the current level of demand. So Apple could cut by attrition, much like Amazon did. Uh, they've been one of the companies who's been in the news for wanting their employees to return to the headquarters, um, to return to office for a greater period of time. They could assist on that and then have some attrition there. They could also lay off their employees at the uh, retail level. So I do believe that Apple, while they haven't done so yet, uh, like everyone else, they will adjust their headcount for the current level of demand. So far this year, Tom, any kinds of announcements of layoffs has been met usually with a rally in the shares of the company, with this feeling of cost-cutting that would allow growth to continue to accelerate. At what point is that not true anymore for the tech complex? So the question is, are they cutting fat or are they cutting muscle? And I think to some degree, a lot of the cuts have been fat. Uh, these companies were bloated in terms of headcount, especially bloated given the low level of demand for e-commerce today and for digital advertising. So the question is, at some point, are they cutting muscle and not fat? Uh, that remains to be seen. But I think that the reason you're seeing the stocks react favorably to the headcount uh, moves is on the expectation that on a near-term basis, it'll re uh, result in higher margins on uh, lower expenses. There are a couple different strains of ideas for the economy within these tech earnings. There's a business side, particularly with cloud computing and the spending that you've seen or not with the disappointing outlook from Microsoft, which potentially we might see repeated by Amazon's uh, AWS. And then there's a the consumer side, the consumer still buying and Apple continuing to be strong on that level. Which prong do you think has the greatest weakness? Are we seeing some of the bigger softening? Yeah, the greater concern, uh, and this pertains to Amazon, from their third quarter results wasn't that their mature e-commerce business was slow growing, it's that their faster, higher margin units, cloud computing and advertising, were starting to feel the negative impacts of an increasingly challenged macroeconomic environment. So to the extent we see more signs of that when Amazon reports, I think that's the greater concern given that it's higher revenue, higher margin for Amazon. Let's build on that, Tom. Barron's wrote about this this weekend. I think it's the question to ask for these tech names right now. Are we seeing some of these names face just a little bit of a cyclical test? Or are we seeing some of the structural story that's dominated these names and delivered monster gains over the last five years or so? Are we seeing that structural shift, a change in the underlying trend, Tom, that could be with us for years to come, regardless of the cycle? I'll go with the structural shift. I think that gone are the days where you can get up and expect Amazon, Apple, uh, Alphabet, uh, meta platforms to outperform against NASDAQ automatically. I think you need to see some company-specific initiatives, or in the case of Alphabet and Meta, a rebound in digital advertising on a strengthening economy for those shares to outperform the NASDAQ even over short periods of time. So I would say it's more structural. I think it's a change in dynamics, and I think it's something that's going to continue to play out over the next 12 months. Uh, Tom, how does that influence your thoughts on how we should be thinking about valuing these companies with that in mind? Well, the challenge for Amazon uh, long-term is in order to maintain its premium multiple, they essentially have to outgrow the contraction in their multiple uh, from an earnings standpoint, which is why you're seeing such a significant shift in focus to services, to higher margin efforts for Amazon. But the question for all these companies in big tech is, can they um, outpace the contraction in their multiple, uh, perhaps by having their profits grow at a higher than expected rate and I think it's going to be a challenge across the board.
What's going to happen to the unprofitable tech companies? And I think about Snap, for example, as they report earnings tomorrow. Is this going to be the beginning of the end? All right, two two things. One, the good news is that uh, you're seeing a bid. So a lot of the companies this year are getting uh, positive performance in their share price, even if you're seeing a pullback in some of their uh, projections for earnings. But for the companies like Snapchat, for companies that are losing money today and maybe don't have a great balance sheet, uh, they're basically in a race against time. Can they get incremental capital? Will the capital markets reopen uh, before they run out of money? And in many instances, it's to be determined. Hey, Tom, this was great. Hopefully we can do this again later this week when these numbers start to drop. Tom Forder there of DA Davidson. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Lisa Abramowitz, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.